The text for our sermon this morning comes from the gospel reading just read. And in the hymn we just sang, we heard about the name of Jesus, the name Jesus, how important that is, as it was foretold uh, by the angel that he would be named Jesus. Today we're going to also reflect on the name Jesus of Nazareth. As Matthew, the last verse in our reading, says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed, a Merry Christmas to you all. Great to see you here. As you remember, we have just one service today, so you are on time. Congratulations. If Mary and Joseph thought raising a king was going to be easygoing, they are in for a big surprise. If they thought having the Son of God under your roof meant living a life of ease and comfort, well, their expectations are quickly brought back down to earth in our reading today. No, long, no, no sooner, not very long after the wise men left and the quiet, the dark on Christmas, the glorious angels, the song, the shepherds, after all of that, and then after the visit of the wise men, after they leave, from the moment Jesus is born, he is rejected by the world. On Christmas Day, John wrote, He came to his own, but his own rejected him. This morning, we see what John meant. Jesus was a Nazarene. Being a Nazarene, a, a person from Nazareth, means being rejected. Not being thought of very well. Not, not a prestigious place to be from. A backwards, hillbilly kind of town. But being Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, this means being rejected, mocked, and yet being the very one who gives his life for the ones who rejected you. As we are reminded, when Pilate crucified Jesus, the sign that he put over Jesus, the I-N-R-I, standing for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Today we remember what it means, that name Nazarene. Because usually after the birth of a child, there's a time of getting settled. Companies give mothers maternity leave to get used to balancing this new life, this new family life. And also now it's not uncommon for companies to give leave for dad. But not everyone is happy when a child is born. The devil hates childbirth. He hates children. Part of the reason is because every childbirth is a reminder of the first gospel promise in the Garden of Eden. When God said to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The devil can't stand childbirth because every child that is born is a reminder that he was humiliated and destroyed by a man who himself was a humble child and he couldn't touch him. 
The devil hates childbirth even further because it is a sign that God is continuing to work in this fallen world, giving life. That God sustains life. That God, even though our world had rejected him, even as he was a little child, God has not removed himself from this world. As fallen, as sinful, and as wicked as our world is, God is still sustaining life, even those who hate him. So if you wonder why abortion seems so ensconced in our society and world as a whole, it's because this is the ruling place of the devil. And the devil hates life. The devil hates childbirth with a passion. So then it's no surprise that the devil then convinces Herod to kill this child. The devil convinces Herod that his throne is threatened by this child. And you know, if you think about it, the devil was right. However, the question we should ask is what throne is Jesus a threat to? Because the child, the Christ child's main concern is not the political throne of Herod as king of the Jews, not first and foremost. The throne that Jesus is a greater threat to is the thrones that we maintain in our hearts. The gods that that we bow our knees down to, the false gods, the, the things of this world. Just as Jesus was content to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and receive a kingly welcome, Jesus is a king, but his kingdom comes on a much more grand scale. The creator of the universe is coming to restore his kingdom's glory. So it wasn't really the political throne that this little child was a threat to, even though Herod thought that. Jesus was a threat to the throne and kingdom that Herod had established in his own heart. Because remember, Herod, he was not a believer. He was not a a Christian. He was not part of God's people by faith. Because Herod is more concerned about earthly wealth, about his earthly throne and prestige, rather than knowing and receiving the treasure of God's kingdom rather than knowing and receiving the gift of God's word. Because remember, Herod didn't know the Bible. Remember, the the wise men came to Herod and said, well, where is this king? And Herod, he didn't know where it was written in the scriptures. He had to ask his advisors. The supposed king of the Jews, the one who is one of the rulers who should know the word of God backwards and forwards in all the prophecies, he had to ask his advisors because he was more concerned about his reputation. He was more concerned about worshiping the false gods in his heart rather than worshiping the true king. And so anyone who was a threat to his false gods, mainly his own heart, he was ready to kill. And we can be tempted to do the same. To enthrone certain things in our hearts. And Jesus, he, 
he comes to dethrone those kings, and we don't like it. We don't like to give up our gods of time. As we celebrate the new year and the passing of time, recognizing that we're in the year now of 2022. Wait, no, we're in 2023. Time, our most valuable possession, we enthrone in our hearts right there along with money. We might find it easy to throw money at something, but our time, that becomes a king we put on a pretty high throne. And also our pride, always being right. Or perhaps we, we feel better about us being on the throne by, by pointing out other, other people's faults. By pointing out other people's failings, we feel better about being on a throne ourselves. Instead of worshiping Jesus in repentance and examining our lives according to his law, we're more ready to examine everybody else's life. Herod is a good example of the worst in all of us. That we're ready and willing to kill anyone who threatens the gods of our hearts. But you shouldn't be like Herod. We shouldn't be like the rest of the world. The rest of the world that doesn't want to leave their pride, doesn't want to leave arrogance behind, doesn't want to look at life with an eternal perspective, rather than than thinking that the time right now is all we have. Because that's not true. We have eternity. We have eternal life, even now. So... What happens with our time now, we should should consider where to put it for Christ because he has indeed given you eternal life. Don't be like the rest of the world. Don't fall into the temptation of your hearts, your sinful flesh, but confess your sins. James tells us to confess our sins to one another. Confess your sins to God in your prayers and also to here during the church service. Every week we have the opportunity to come into God's presence and throw down our false gods. To destroy all the thrones we've established in our hearts. And this regular practice will will teach you to despise the Herods and the foreign gods that our sinful nature likes to enthrone. And so often when we let our guards down is precisely when these thrones are filled. Just as Herod was convinced by the devil to not receive Jesus, we should be warned. But don't be shocked to know that the world will not think highly of you when you are ready to be close, closer to Jesus. When you confess your sins, don't expect the world to absolve you. Don't expect the world to recognize you. Expect the world to, see an, to, to smell blood in the water, to see an opportunity to jump. We see that's what Herod did in our reading. Because when you are with Christ Jesus, you too are also a Nazarene. This is what Matthew means in verse 23, when he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, 
so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew says, as the prophets say. We're not quite sure exactly what passages Matthew is speaking about here, about the prophets that said Jesus would be a Nazarene. But one way we look at this passage is that Matthew is referencing the idea that Jesus would come from a town that had a bad reputation. That a town you would not expect a king to come from. And this is just the M.O., how God works. That he is not a savior that we expect. So Matthew is saying here that through all the prophets, the coming Messiah will come to the earth and he will be contrary to all our earthly expectations. The contempt and rejection that Jesus faces is fulfilled by him being called a Nazarene, a hillbilly. You can remember the times when Jesus is identified in a negative way as being a Nazarene. You remember when Peter is accused of being with Jesus the Nazarene, when Jesus is put on trial, they say, hey, you sound like him. Your speech makes it plain You're from Nazareth. And what did Peter say? No, I'm not with this guy. In John chapter 1, when Nathanael is told that the Messiah has come, Jesus from Nazareth, Nathanael, even one of Jesus' followers, says, can anything good come from Nazareth? When Matthew is referring to Jesus as fulfilling the prophecies that he will be a Nazarene, is that Jesus will be despised and rejected because he's not the kind of Messiah our sinful flesh wants. Now, what are some of the Old Testament prophecies that say this? Well, in Isaiah 53, the most well-known one that we have, Isaiah writes, the Messiah will have no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Also in Isaiah, Jesus is called a lowly shoot. And also Matthew today, when he says, I will call my son from Egypt, we also see how the Jews, the Israelites, God's people, as they're always being rejected, always being persecuted, they are a picture of the Messiah. One theme that Matthew continually uses is that Jesus is a Messiah who isn't interested in political power. He isn't interested in enriching himself like normal kings do, and this causes offense. Most people wanted a Messiah who's glorious, who's going to give them all kinds of riches and human victories. Their life is never going to go bad. A Messiah who gives earthly power. But Matthew's point is that when Joseph takes Mary and Jesus to Nazareth, this is a clue that he will be rejected by many solely because of where he was raised. And isn't that what John told us on Christmas Day? In him was the light of men, but men loved the darkness. And this is why we hear this reading so quickly after the emotional and nostalgic time of Christmas. 
Because we can be tempted to fall into the, the same sin, thinking that this life is going to be happy and smooth. That since God is in control, that our life is going to just be gumdrops and chocolate chip cookies. But today the Holy Spirit teaches us by the scriptures that God doesn't always prevent tragedies. Nor does life go as we always hope or think it should. With the killing of all the boys under two years old and in all the surrounding areas, we, we don't know the answer as to why God permits tragedies to happen. But we do know in this particular tragedy that as God was protecting Jesus, God is restoring the world. That by protecting Jesus, God is indeed providing a refuge for all those children who were born and even all children that are murdered now before they even see the light of day. That God was in Christ Jesus destroying evil. And that in Christ is the light of men. That in Christ, the whole world finds refuge and salvation and light. All those innocent boys that Herod murdered, all the children who died too early, in Jesus' death and resurrection, God is reversing evil's march against us. That that which has been stolen is given back in Jesus. In Jesus' cross, God has assured us that evil does not win. Evil does not rule the day. And as Jesus has the name Nazarene, even on the cross there, what was thought of as a statement of derision is a statement of victory, that God does not leave his people. And if you think about it, Herod thinks he's gaining the upper hand by killing all these baby boys. But what is he doing? God is using this to further prove that Jesus of Nazareth is the true king of the Jews. That when Herod, I, when Herod orders all the boys to be murdered, he is fulfilling scripture. And he is confirming the identity of Jesus even by this wicked act. So too, when any earthly power tries to thwart Christ's church, God will use it for his good. And even for your own life, no earthly tragedy, no earthly authority can touch you. No earthly authority, no wicked force, nothing in this life can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the true and real treasures that Christ gives to you in his kingdom. The problem is, as we so often choose the wrong treasures. But Christ has chosen you as his treasure and given his life so that he could be with you forever. So today we see that God has intervened to put an end to all suffering and sadness in life in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even something, so un something we can't even understand in the slaughter of the innocents. But remember, our sadness is short. 
Your suffering is not forever, but very minor. Yes, it stings. Yes, our suffering and being part of Christ in this world will hurt. But in Christ Jesus, you get everything back and then some. Because he stayed faithful. Even when he was rejected, yes, Jesus was born in Nazareth, but he was brought out of that know-nothing town to be given all power and authority. So too, you and I, as we're brought through this veil of tears, we who were know-nothings, we who were nothing before God because of our sin, are now children of God. Not because we understand everything, but by the mercy of God and the forgiveness of all your sins. By baptism, you are taken from a backwoods identity of dead sinner to an identity of being a royal priesthood. All the false gods you've enthroned, Jesus comes to throw them down by forgiveness. And he releases you. He releases you from guilt. He releases you from doubt. All your sins are forgiven. So don't be offended by this Nazarene. Don't be offended by a God who does things in unexpected ways. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. So be wise unto salvation. Live by faith that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And remember that Jesus is glad to accept this title of Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He is glad to accept this title. Let us also rejoice in being Nazarenes. Those who are despised by the world because of our faithfulness. And just like Jesus, the Nazarene, let us also then give our lives as living sacrifices. Let us be ready to pick up our cross and follow our King, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.